You're listening to the April 15th edition of The Close-Up, the Film Society of Lincoln Center's weekly podcast series. This is Brian Brooks, Managing Editor of FilmLink.com. And this is Eugene Hernandez, Deputy Director of the Film Society. On this edition of The Close-Up, we're featuring filmmaker Frederick Cheng, the director of the new documentary Dior and I, which has just launched its theatrical run here at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and will continue to open in other cities in the coming weeks. Frederick Cheng's new film Dior and I goes inside the legendary fashion headquarters of Christian Dior, giving a privileged behind-the-scenes look at the creation of a line of haute couture by the legendary Parisian fashion house. This time, however, the collection has just eight weeks before it's due to hit the runway, and it's spearheaded by a new designer to Dior, namely Raph Simmons, a Belgian with a background in ready-to-wear, who's taking on his first collection as the head of the hallowed house of Christian Dior. As artistic director, Raph Simmons leads a dedicated group of collaborators who shape his visions into a debut collection that will face the scrutiny of both the media and fashion worlds, as well as the ghost of Dior himself, whose presence permeates the Paris location that he created back in 1947. Dior and I is a truly insightful and up-close look at something few get to see. It combines the everyday pressure-filled moments of fashion design following the daily aspects of building the new collection, but also includes mysterious echoes from the iconic brand's past. We learn early on in the film that Raph Simmons doesn't sketch his collections, so the documentary is also a colorful homage to the seamstresses who work closely with him to bring his vision and ideas to life. Dior and I debuted at the 2014 Tribeca Film Festival, and later won a special jury award at the Seattle International Film Festival last June. This is the second director credit for Frederick Chang, who co-directed the 2011 doc, Diana Vreeland, The Eye Has to Travel. His first foray into capturing a fashion icon on film was his work co-editing and producing the 2008 documentary by director Matt Turnauer, Valentino, The Last Emperor. For this film, Frederick approached the House of Christian Dior about doing a film chronicling the creation of a new line, but only met Raph Simmons the day he arrived at Dior's Paris headquarters. Initially, the media-shy Simmons did not want to take part in the documentary, but Frederick was ultimately able to persuade him to be a part of the film. I enjoyed speaking with Frederick at the Film Society this past weekend about putting the film together and being an eyewitness to the creation of Haute Couture at one of the world's most venerable labels. Let's go now to our conversation. you so much. <laughs> I've been in this room so many times watching um, movies that have changed my life, so I feel like being on this stage is a little strange and, and wonderful <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> well, it means a lot for us to have you here tonight, so thank you, Frederick, for spending some time with us on this film's opening weekend. Um, thrilled to have a full house uh, here once again tonight for Dior and I, and please uh, spread the word to your friends. The film is playing here. Um, every day, um, many times a day. Um, we'll talk about this film, we'll talk about your background, we'll talk about um, how you constructed and explored this story, but one of the things I was thinking about 
I went to, I went back and rewatched um, the Diana Vreeland film uh, the other day uh, in preparation for tonight, and I wonder if you see a link or what connection you see between, uh, and you've had different roles on three very uh, prominent documentaries, a uh, documentary about Valentino, documentary about Diana Vreeland, and now this film. Um, what connections do you see now as, as you look back at these three films and what kind of links do you see, um, if any? I guess each one is sort of the opposite of the previous one <laughs> in, a, in a strange way, I guess. Uh, Diana Vreeland was mostly driven by archival footage and um, you know the sense of um, history and um, this one obviously was much more set in the present and the the past is still there but it's sort of a ghostly uh, past that's haunting um, the house and haunting Raf's uh, process through this collection so it was very very different and um, and also I mean Valentino and Diana Vrien were uh, uh, are like very um, um, sort of exuberant, uh, you know, um, very um, lively, um, eccentric characters in the fashion world that stand for an idea of fantasy or an idea of romanticism. Raph Simmons stands for something very different and very much more uh, modern. That's what attracted me to the story, I think, initially, is that he, he really feels... Um, an, an artist of today, you know, in the way he collaborates, the way he he uh, uses a, a whole studio um, and uh, doesn't sketch his whole collection, but relies on collaboration much more. And and um, his interest also is much closer to, I guess, my generation. You know, I don't he his menswear collections were always inspired by bands that I listened to. You know, Joy Division, Kraftwerk, and yeah. so there was an affinity there that I. I didn't find um, in uh, necessarily, you know, in Diana Vrien. Diana Vrien was more, much more about discovering, you know, the past through her eyes. Um, um, this one is closer to my heart, I guess, in, in terms of like the, this, the subject matter and the, the journey of the, the main subject. Uh, in many ways, um, it's an unlikely film in that um, Raph Simmons rejected you initially. Um, <laughs> maybe you could uh, elaborate on that a little bit, because right. my understanding is you had um, you had signed on, and Christian Dior had signed on to your making this film, but that was before Raph was chosen and, and hired. Right. And then he said no? Yeah, basically. Tell us a bit about that. <laughs> um, Tell us about that conversation, that first conversation with him. Well, I was really excited when I saw that Raph Simmons was nominated for for the job. Finally, you know, because I had told Dior, I'm, I'm, you know, if it's Raph, I'm jumping on the plane, and you know, um, in 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 a on a heartbeat. Really, I really, I don't, I can't say if it's another designer how I'm going to react. But I know one thing for sure is that Raph is um, someone that I would I would love to follow for his first collection, his arrival at Dior. I mean, not only because of those affinities that I've talked about, but also because he seemed the most interesting choice in terms of film drama, because he's very, um, uh, he's very much at the opposite end of the spectrum if you talk about um, fashion aesthetic and sort of, you know, Dior is very, um, um, is very romantic, very feminine, and he's, he comes from menswear, he's much more restrained. Um, but he's a great artist, so I knew that there was something that he was going to be able to pull off. But his relationship to the atelier was going to be interesting to watch, no matter what, because he's uh, so future-driven, and they're 
steeped in tradition, so there was a, a conflict, you know, sort of tension there. Um, so as soon as he was announced as the designer, I called uh, Dior and I was like, well, I'm jumping on the plane. They're like, well, um, Raf says no, so <laughs> don't hold off. And um, they, uh, they said, well, if you wrote like a little statement um, explaining who you are and what, what the film that you would like to make would, uh, you know, would look like or would be about, um, um, that would help. So I, I spent like a couple of uh, nights uh, drafting, laboring over just a few paragraphs trying to explain um, what I had done in the past and I was, what I was trying to do with this one. And I never heard from Raf directly, but I heard from Dior a, a couple of days later saying, um, Raf can't say no, so he would, he would like to meet you in Paris and, um, in two days. And, <laughs> and uh, it's gonna be uh, when he meets the seamstresses to so come with the camera. Um, and, and they said, it's gonna be a, a week of, a, a trial week, um, a trial period, sort of. Um, and we're not sure that anything's going to come off of it. He can't really uh, guarantee that he's going to be okay with. But he um, he's giving you a week, so you know, just show up. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. And so I um, I try to put a crew together very quickly over the weekend. And I'd never worked in Paris, so it was you know a little bit of a um, difficult situation, just like trying to uh, find people. And then on Monday morning, we were there when he entered the building, and we were with the seamstresses, and we had met sort of the seamstresses beforehand, and we came down with them to wait for the new designer, and and that's how it started. And it's only after I basically sh sh shot the, f the first scene, um, you know, that I, we we sat down and started to talk about the project. Um, the first question he asked me was like, what's your favorite film? Who's your favorite filmmaker? To which I very quickly responded, Todd Haynes, because I had read that he loved Todd Haynes, and I, <laughs> I happened to know that I happened to love Todd Haynes as well, and he's, he's, he's crazy about Safe, the film with Julian Moore, which was also a very important film for me. And um, so I saw a big smile on his face, I was like, yes, okay. Um, and then, uh, we talked, you know, I, I talked about other filmmakers that I liked, uh, Asian filmmakers that he didn't necessarily know, like uh, Tsai Ming Yang, actually, who has a film playing here, right? Um, or um, Wong Kar Wai, I mean, he loves Wong Kar Wai, too. And so we, yeah, we, he was trying to, he was very um, curious about uh, who I was and what I liked, and um, um, very different from, like, the public image that he has sometimes of uh, being uh, very reserved, very shy. He was actually very, he was the one sort of coming uh, to me with questions and, and, um, and then we talked more, we sat down and talked more seriously about what his reservations were about um, making a film and he, um, he told me about the, we t he, he told me a lot uh, about his perception of the star system and the celebrity sort of culture that we live in and he he finds it very absurd that people are elevated to a certain uh, status and sometimes for no reason and you know he thinks um, some people are stars but in his own mind but really they're just unknown people they would never make the cover of any magazine um, and he um, 
he also finds it um, sort of um, life-changing, the idea of being public, then people assume certain things about you and then they don't have a, uh, they don't have a direct relationship with you. They sort of mm -hmm. put you on a pedestal and they, you know, they start treating you differently. And he was very afraid of that. Mm. Um, and he wanted to have simple conversations. He's all about sort of conversations. And um, I told him that, like I said in my in my um, letter that I had sent him, that you know I, the film was very much an ensemble cast, and it was not. Uh, I wasn't going to um, treat him any differently than the seamstresses. And I, you know, in the film there was going to be. Um, um, the sense of collaboration and the sense of uh, a dialogue between them that that's what i was interested in and and the the process so that's how we started and you, you know the, fil the the filming of the first week went really well and we uh, we i mean we sort of talked a little bit but it's mostly observing and he sort of i think he saw that we were not very intrusive you know we were sort of invisible mm. um and he saw that um, um, that on a certain level he must have trusted me because at the end of the week he, I was packing my camera. He was he didn't really tell me what uh, was going to happen after that. And um, and um, I happened to s uh, I saw him on the way out of uh, the building, and he's like, "Where are you going?" I'm like, "Well, my my flight's tomorrow. I'm you know this is the week that uh, we agreed to." And He's like, oh, really? But we're going to the archives tomorrow. I, th you know, I thought you should. I think you should come. And so I was like, well, <laughs> okay, I'll change my flight immediately. <laughs> and so that's how we sort of. Um, that was his seal of approval in a way. And then I, I, I stayed in Paris for the rest of the shoot. And shooting every day, shooting how frequently? How often were you over that next, I guess, seven or eight weeks? Shooting every day, yeah, yeah. pretty much. I mean. Um, I mean, six days out of seven, because in France, you, it's very strict. You can't work seven days in a row. Uh, the seamstresses are under the same, also, uh, the same um, um, rules. You know, you have to have one day of rest for every week. It's a, it's a social structure that's very, um, um, it's very good for everyone. But as a filmmaker, it was driving me crazy. <laughs> Sometimes I was, I was like, I want to shoot this. And Sometimes I would find myself just shooting by myself because, um, you know, my crew had to rest. Um, and like when they first saw the the building where they, they were gonna have the show, um, basically I got a phone call at, and I was having lunch with a friend and Olivier was like, well, we're going to see a venue. I think it might be interesting for you. So I, I left everything on the table and I just grabbed my camera at home and, and met, went to meet them and shot by myself, which turned out to be like a scene that I, I really wanted to have. and sort of Raph has a little little bit of a epiphany about the flowers and yeah. and um so it was uh, it was definitely a um a struggle to adjust to the french rules which are great rules but you know it's <laughs> as a filmmaker you always want more and more <laughs> the um the seamstresses have uh, a direct, obviously, a, such a connection to the institution, and they um, seem so unfazed in many ways. You know, they've they've seen it all, they've been through it all, they've seen change over many years. 
how did they as subjects respond to you? Because I think it's such a rich part of the film to have the dichotomy between that permanence and this new person coming in and then the interplay between the two. But as subjects, how was that? Uh, were they phased by your presence or were they really un... un they were they were unfazed and then they were a little skeptical about what we were doing in the beginning. I remember they were telling me, um, oh yeah, well, TV crews come and go and we never see the results anyway, so we're not going to bother. Just and stay then, out of the way. <laughs> I mean, no, they would, they would talk to us, but they were just, uh, their expectations were kind of low because they're used to, um, 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 you know, the French news usually during Couture Week, they do little, seg little segments um, about... Um, the atelier, but they come in and they shoot B-roll, and the, you know that's the last thing that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. You know, um, getting B-roll. I really wanted to get to know them personally. So we would, you know, the first few days was ba was basically going to the atelier and going from table to table and and meeting everyone and shaking everyone's hand and just um, learning their names and their story and and so I think we it happened over um, the first week that we sort of broke the ice and we showed them that we were there to stay and we were sort of serious about actually getting to know them. We we're not just there to uh, mm -hmm. to get shots of just hands doing things. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then I was really happy because when we finished the film and we uh, showed it in Tribeca, then we went to Paris. The first thing we did was to show it to the atelier and I told them, I was like, you see, you see the result now? <laughs> and uh, they were really touched to actually see a 90 minute film that, that, that uh, they recognized themselves in it. Like they didn't, um, they didn't feel like um, um, like they like Monique told me like you really caught me like you know like and I thought that was a great compliment. You know she recognized herself even though she has vulnerable moments and everything, mm -hmm. but she uh, she um, she thought the movie was fair to her. I've I've read about. Uh this, I read the story of, of how you showed the film to Raf. Maybe you could relate to us. Because I, I can only imagine that would have been probably um, as stressful as trying to get his acceptance to let you put a camera in front of him must have been so many months later than having to show it to him. Um, yeah, I really wanted to show it to him in person because I know that it's very confronting to, to watch yourself on screen for 90 minutes. and. And I wanted to be there to answer his questions and, and basically tell him like it's okay, you know, you're not, uh, <laughs> um, it, you know, it's you on screen. And it's like, it's, um, it's, it's a human story, you know. But it's very hard when you see yourself on screen, or you know, even when I just hear my voice, you know, recorded, it's it sounds awful. So I can imagine just seeing you for 90 minutes. But he saw it a, a different way. He wanted. Um, to, he wanted a DVD because he wanted to watch it by himself um, at home. He he said, thank you very much for offering to come, but I don't think I can see it with anyone else in the room um, at this point. And um, <clears throat> so I, you know, I reluctantly gave him a DVD and, and, and um, waited by the phone, basically. And um, he sent me a text message um, the, a day later, and um, he was very moved. I mean, he said he cr basically cried for most of the film and and, uh, and that he was uh, very surprised at how um, emotional the movie was. He didn't think um, that it had transpired somehow, like uh, all the emotions that he went through, you know, he just lived again by watching the film. 
I'm wondering how you process that as a filmmaker, because you experienced this movie with him from a different vantage point. Is the movie that you made the movie that you thought you were seeing in the production process? Um, did you really feel like as you were shooting it, you knew what you were getting or when did it sort of, when did that change happen if it did? Well, yes, you, see, you experience it and then you try to be faithful to your own experience of it. And um, you try to understand and deconstruct in the editing room um, to make it relatable, you know, um, relatable for, the, for the audience, um, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we were shooting a lot and sometimes it was hard, actually. We were just exhausted. I remember my sound man telling me at some point, he, he was like, Fred, I don't understand what we're shooting, you know, we're just shooting everything. And I was a little taken aback because I guess in France, um, a, a lot of documentarians just know exactly their angle when, when they start making the film. I, I don't know, I work in a very different way. I'm much more intuitive and, and I just shoot a lot and, and um, I'm very careful to, to, uh, to notice when my heartbeat gets a little faster and I and some I respond to something emotionally then I know that's the story I need to follow but um, but I came in with you know a general idea of what the film was going to be about but then the the actual characters and the their emotion their emotional journey you find as you make the film and then the in the editing room you try to take a little bit of distance from that and and try to take it uh, one step further because um, it's easy, I mean, it's easy to be uh, sort of uh, caught in the empathy that you feel for your, for your subjects, but uh, you also have to look out for your own voice in a way. And um, so it's, it's, it's very difficult to find that balance. But in a way, that, that balance is very similar to the one that Raf is going through, you know, him finding the right distance to Dior and like finding his voice through the legacy. Um, so I, I sort of see a little bit of a parallel, you know, between his relationship to Dior and then my relationship to the, uni the universe in general. I mean, there, the, the, the film process and the fashion process are so similar. It was very strange and um, almost eerie when we were going through the different steps of making the film. We, we would catch ourselves saying, like, uh, things that, Monique had said in the film, or Raf had said, and you know, and um, I think that's that's made us realize later on that the film, ultimately, the core of the film is the creative process. Whether it's the film or the fashion creative process, it's 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 sort of universal what um, creative uh, people go through as as mm -hmm. they're they're trying to communicate a vision. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to hear you mention the empathy. Um, you have for a subject. So I'm curious to ask you as a documentarian to share with us a little bit more about how you think about that relationship you have to a subject. Um, how do you moderate getting too close, not getting close enough? Um, is it film by film? Is it subject by subject? Um, or is there a, is there a, a process, I guess, uh, to developing that relationship that you then will have to translate to the screen in some in some manner. Um, it's a really complicated. 
at least from, from uh, in my case, like I, I really think about empathy a lot, and I know that's the way I function when I'm shooting and when I'm making the film. But I also try to distance myself, and and um, I know that empathy can can lead to some, you know, um, a skewed view on things, or um, it's it could be used also. It could be a little manipulative. So I'm trying to. Um, I mean, for me, the <clears throat> the the process of empathy is very similar, and the process of making documentaries um, is very similar to falling in love. Actually, it's like you want to know everything about the other person. You want to just um, be them in a way, and like and um, and be with them all the time. And and but you have to keep the right distance um, very early on, otherwise it. It just—it's um, not productive. It—and uh, you lose yourself in it, you know, very quickly. Um, so, yeah, I don't—I don't know that I've really uh, uh, have an answer. I think it's like—it's um, a—but I feel like that's the core of uh, the composition that's going in my head. Like, what—what what is the right distance? And it's really interesting that. Raf Simmons was um, pretty distant during the shooting and during the making of the film. I mean, he was very friendly, but we never really um, spent a lot of time to have like dinner together. We would have like sometimes lunch very quickly yeah. and exchange a little bit just to build a sense of trust. But it's only after the movie showed it in Tribeca that he actually called me and you know and and reached out to me and said. Um, well, now that the film is uh, out, I think we can be friends now. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> He's like, yeah, well, I didn't want to, you know, um, I didn't want to influence your decisions and your, you know. Um, I was like, wow, that's really, that's, I, I didn't think about it that way, but it's very, it's very thoughtful. It's very much in line with what he does with his collaborators, just giving them uh, creative, creative room. It's very insightful to hear you talk about the idea of making a film and, and how a documentary film is like falling in love. And then it's also interesting to hear you talk about how each of you were moderating your relationship to the other um, in that process. Right. It's fascinating. Yeah. Um, I would love to include some questions from the audience, uh, if we can um, get a few of them in. And uh, this conversation is being recorded for a Film Society podcast. Uh, so I will repeat the question so that we can have it, uh, so the folks who are listening in can hear it. Um, so if you have a question, please raise your hand, and we'll try to get a few of them in, and we'll go here to the second row. Hi. You're listening to The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Want to experience the Film Society of Lincoln Center's rich slate of year-round programming in person? Then become a member today. Since the 1960s, the Film Society of Lincoln Center has introduced audiences to countless filmmakers from around the globe. Our extensive programming includes 5,000 screenings each year with new releases, retrospectives, special events, premieres, and annual celebrations like the prestigious New York Film Festival, New Director's New Films, Rendezvous with French Cinema, the New York Jewish Film Festival, and so much more. Supporters in their 20s and 30s can join New Wave, a membership program that provides year-round access to premieres, parties, and exclusive events. For more information about becoming a member of the Film Society, visit www.filmlink.com. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here. The 
question is about the link, any link that might exist between Christian Dior's process and Raf Simmons' process, and also the decision you made to incorporate uh, Christian Dior's voice and his archival footage uh, into uh, into the film. Um, pretty early on, I mean, I read the the autobiography of uh, Christian Dior before I started shooting the film. It was really the only book that I read. There were a lot of coffee table books with beautiful pictures of George dresses, but somehow I didn't, I didn't really look at those. Um, I, I, I picked up the tiny gray book that was uh, um, published one year before he died, where he talks about re his relationship to the job, basically, of being a, a creator, and his relationship to a public image also. And um, so I had that in mind. Already, it, I thought it was a very sort of candid um, account of the the process of being a designer. And um, when I when I met Raf, um, and he started telling me about issues he had with publicity, and there was a sense that there was uh, there were parallels between them, um, which was very interesting to a certain point. And then we. My editor, Julio Perez, actually told me, um, well, we have to go beyond that because how the real question, the real dramatic question is how is he going to liberate himself from, this, from these parallels and, and find his own voice, you know, because that's his, um, that's his dilemma, basically, or his struggle is to find his own voice through, uh, um, th in the legacy. And... Um, so we sort of built the film around that, and we, we used uh, Dior as a ghostly figure who basically haunts him and he, that he has to sort of um, deal with in order to become his own, his own person. We, I mean, in thinking, in thinking of the film that way, we, uh, we talked a lot about Rebecca, Hitchcock's film, about you know, the second wife coming in to the house and everyone's talking about the first wife. And, you know, it's a very similar situation in a way. And you have to sort of assert yourself and also honor the memory of, you know, um, the previous um, person. So that's how we, that's how we, we, uh, we worked on the, on the voiceover. And then my friend uh, Omar Berada, who's a very close friend of mine, uh, um, has a beautiful voice that, he, he's done radio before, and so we recorded um, with him excerpts from the from the autobiography. It's not actually Christian George's voice, which was which which is much more high pitched and wouldn't have had that ghostly effect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take a few more questions. Hi, in the second row. Question about what is so special about uh, film's relationship to fashion or translation of fashion and how these two worlds kind of fit together and, and play off each other, I guess? Well, um, I think, fa I mean, fashion is, Andy Warhol used to say, I'm deeply superficial, and I think fashion is also very deeply superficial, uh, meaning that, you know, it's, everything's, there on the surface, but it, it it tells you you can read a lot of things into it also, um, and I was really interested in those things that you can read into an image, and 
um, fashion has become such an image-driven culture that you know I was uh, I wanted to explore um, the other side of that and the what's not being shown usually. Um, so I think that was that was the beginning of the the, the process to to find. Um, the beauty in the creation of those garments and uh, that came through the people who make them uh, the atelier and and Raph Simmons and so the creative the creative struggle um, I mean personally I'm always a little reluctant to talk about fashion and film I mean I know that my resume might suggest that I, I'm like a very uh, passionate about fashion but I'm sort of an outsider a little bit and um, I don't think fashion is necessarily interesting on film. I think anything is in interesting on film if you um, if you do it in a beautiful way. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's always a, there's there's always a tension between film and fashion, and it's something that I felt very strongly working in at the crossroads of these two disciplines. They're not really disciplines that really like each other very much. I mean, I think film, um, the film industry is a little skeptical of uh, uh, the fashion world. And um, with, I, I think with this film, I was trying to, s to uh, save some elements of it and, and show you know, to, a f to a film audience, to a general audience, that there are beautiful things, in f there are beautiful creative minds in fashion and um, worth paying attention to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think it's a, it's, it's a conversation. Hopefully, hopefully there'll be uh, more films about fashion that sort of, um, that um, change people's minds about, you know, the fashion industry. And it's not an industry that's perfect, for sure. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean that it should be discarded entirely. I wonder, I have one quick question, and then we'll take a question, another question from the audience. I wonder if you could share a little bit of information with us about your background. How, how did you become a filmmaker, or what, what, what was your, your training? When did, you be, when did you decide to become a filmmaker? Um, I, I went to engineering school uh, in France uh, after high school. So I, I grew up in Lyon, which is a uh, sort of provincial, uh, and it's a big city in France, but it's still very provincial in, in its uh, uh, um, mentality. So I, I didn't even think that film was something that you could actually make a career out of and, or th allow yourself to think that you were going to be a filmmaker. But I was watching a lot of films, and I was always so interested in film. And then when I moved to Paris um, for engineering school, I started really uh, giving it a try. and. When I graduated, I basically took a year off to apply to film schools, and that's how I landed in New York um, at Columbia University. And I sort of needed the break between France and, and, and America to sort of uh, start uh, from scratch, in a way. What was that trigger? What were the, what, what were the things that, that, was there a particular film or type of film, or, or was it just, uh, what, what sent you in such a dramatic turn away from engineering and towards moving images? Um, there was not one particular film, it was just like a lot of different films and, uh, and um, the idea of working as a civil engineer for the rest of my life started sounding more and more like, <laughs> um, I don't know, like not something I wanted to do. So I, 
I um, I don't know. I just um, the, the the engineering school was very um, liberal in a way. Like they allowed me to do all my internships in film production and film distribution. I, I told them like, yes, this has a lot to do with engineering. And I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> and and they they let it happen, and and that helped me sort of bridge the gap and 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 um, and actually think about a career in film later on. Amazing. Um, yes, here in the front row. Hi. Thank you so much. So the first question is about uh, first film you made, and the second film is about elaborating on building that relationship with Raf, because obviously we see him as being uh, very, very shy about being in front of the camera. Um, well, I mean, the first films I made were basically in in film school. I mean, I had made um, actually when I was working in production, there was a uh, there was a shoot one day with a a very charismatic um, woman called uh, Ingrid Cavan, who was Fassbinder's um, wife. And uh, we're shooting a music video, and suddenly she's, she's in the office, all dressed up and singing this song. And so I was shooting the behind the scene. It was actually, I, I, I sort of forgot about that. I, and um, I mean, no one asked me, but I was like, I have a camera, let's shoot the behind the scene. And she. You know, she was nice, and then she started throwing me out of the dress dressing room and like being all dramatic. And I was like, "Oh, this is fun!" And and that's how sort of how I got into documentary um, in a way. Um, I should dig up that film and see <laughs> what's in it. Um, but um, to answer your question about Raf, um, I think eventually it's just a, a, a human connection. Um, I don't know really how to explain it, but and I can't answer for him as to what made him change his mind. Um, what I do know is that he was very curious to know me. I mean, one of the the the, the turning points in our relationship during the shoot was uh, the trip that I took to Antwerp with him. So that when we um, when we're in the car together, and and he tells me that he's not a minimal minimalist, and um, that's the the part we kept in the film, but there's off screen. There was a lot of getting to know each other. What's your favorite cake? Who's your favorite artist under thirty? He's he's very into the favorite um, questions, and so we just uh, got to know each other just uh, riding in a car and and talking. It was just as simple as that. We're almost out of time. Uh, is there another film that you're already working on? Is there something you can tell us about that you're Making next? Um, I'm I'm trying to um, um, I'm trying to write a narrative uh, film, um, so that's very new to me. But it has somewhat of a documentary uh, aspect or historical aspect. It's set in the 70s. How are you finding the writing process? Very uh, daunting, but very uh, very challenging, and 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 um, it's new. I mean, it's definitely new. Um, I really appreciate uh, Frederick uh, taking the time to spend with us this evening. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much and for having thank me. thank you for being thank here you. tonight. Thank you. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Brian Brooks, Nick Kemp, and Michael Oatmark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. 
The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.com, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.com. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.